Welcome on in, DJ and PK, coming at you on this Monday morning, March 2nd. How cool is that, guys? It is already March. The winter, the worst of the winter, hopefully is behind us until next year, next fall at least, late fall, right? Football season, well into football season. Right now, we got basketball season, and we still have some football season. Actually, it's restarting spring ball. Thanks for listening. We'll get to all that. I'm PK. DJ is off today, so appreciate you listening this early morning. Let's start off with some basketball, particularly college basketball. How about the Cougars taking it to Pepperdine? Yoli Childs off the charts, man. He was sensational Saturday afternoon, wasn't he? Yes, I think he was. I'm not sure I saw a better performance by a BYU big man ever. I don't go back that long. But I think that was the best performance that I've seen by a BYU big man. Obviously, Jimmer did his thing, scored 50-some points. What was it against New Mexico in uh, the Thomas and Mac in the conference semifinals in uh, 2011? I was there. That was a game. Boy, that was a game. Yoli Childs had himself a game. So the Cougars get the number two seed, which means that they will be playing a week from tonight. In the New Orleans Arena, Orleans Arena, probably against St. Mary's. Utah State also gets a number two seed. They lost to New Mexico. Probably going to play New Mexico later on this week as the conference tournament gets started for the Mountain West. They're moving it up a little bit because of some activities, I think. I'm not sure what's going on next week, but that conference tournament gets going. The Aggies will be coming off a loss, a two point loss. I want to let you hear from Craig Smith and Scotty G on the Aggie basketball program right here on 97.5, 1280, The Zone. Joining us now, he's the head coach of the Utah State Aggies as uh, Utah State suffers a tough one tonight, 66-64. And, Coach, we talked pregame about turnovers, and turnovers were a huge issue in this game tonight against this Lobo team. Yeah, it was, and we knew that, you know, that the last time we played them in the conference tournament, obviously we had 24 of them, and that was a big focus, obviously, as we talked about. And, um, and that set us back, and but still, you know, we get that lead up 14 with uh, about 11:45 to go or so, and and give them credit, they make three straight threes to go on a nine, I believe it was a 9-0 run, and gave them hope, you yeah. know, and hope is a dangerous thing, and obviously, I I certainly regret I shortened our bench, and and that might have got the best of us, but. Uh, left too many winning plays out there. You know, in the first half, I think we, mi- we missed uh, Diogo misses a dunk. Fonz misses a wide-open layup. Uh, Nimi misses a wide-open layup. And Bean misses a wide-open yeah. layup. And that's eight points. And just literally, Beans was a little bit contested, but n- none of the other ones were. And and so, you know, where are we at that way? And that stuff all adds up after a while. But still had our chances. Diogo made a big three in the left corner there uh, to go up four. And um, they come down, hit a tough floater, and, and then we get a wide open, clean look for Sam, and it just doesn't go down, and, and then they get the end one, you know? And so um, life on the road is difficult, but we gotta find a way to close that game out. You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like they killed you on the offensive glass, but they had key offensive rebounds. Uh, that they, you know, the, uh, the bucket down here where they cut it from, you know, from eight to six, yeah. you know, or those, those are just those key moments where more often than not, you are the ones, you guys are the ones making those winning plays. You know, um, the first half, they had seven offensive rebounds, and I think they had, um, uh, let me, I think 13 missed shots, if I remember right. And so that's not an equa- good equation. But in the second half, I thought we were a lot better, making them one and done. And, uh, but that was a big one, certainly. Yeah. Uh, you know, we went to four guards for a while. I thought Justin was struggling guarding. You know, they basically went really small. 
and um, and I thought that was a good lineup for us for a stretch. And then we went back to, to Bean and, and short some things up that way. But um, our zone, I thought, was pretty good for the most part. We were kind of mixing it up. Uh, and then at the end of the day, number zero comes in, Martin, and makes some big plays. You know, just kind of kind of built, you know, big boy in us. Yeah. Um, just getting to the rim. You know, Diogo makes that three and hits kind of that tough floater and created some lane penetration there. But uh, it's a, obviously um, disappointing loss, to say the least. There's, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, but certainly there's some things that I, I uh, regret that we did. Well, and uh, you, you, you have secured the two seed, win or lose in this game. Uh, and you may very well end up seeing this team again in the next game you play. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, they'll be the seven seed, I'm assuming, and 7-10 game against San Jose. And, and we'll get the winner of that. And it's just uh, we were on a good roll and playing really good basketball. And we had some glimpses of very good basketball yeah. tonight, but obviously had some um, tough place too and you know they're in the middle of that run and Sam comes down in, on the break at the rim it, well, Nimi gets a deep post catch number five is guarding him we get the offensive foul um, you know a few possessions after that we're on the break against the press Sam is literally at the rim misses a layup and then Nimi gets called for over in the back and those are those are 50-50 plays and you gotta we gotta be able to make those plays and those are maybe calls that go one way or the other um, but we didn't and then we we're still obviously with the lead. We run one of our go-to sets, and and um, Abel's getting pressure on top, and Bean doesn't quite hold off his guy. And obviously, um, I think it was number one comes over his back, and, um, and they get the steal, and they get the breakaway, and now all of a sudden we lose our point guard right with a flagrant yeah. two, and and now the crowd's into it, and it just you know it can change the dynamics. But still, um, we got a life on the road, and the margin of winning um, is very very marginal at this level as we all know and uh, a couple plays here or there is the difference what's your uh, how do you handle these next few days not knowing necessarily who you're going to play well we just uh, and I don't 100% know this but I'm, I'm a, so we're the two seed I guess and yeah. I think San Jose's 10 yeah is that right San Jose and New Mexico San, and so the we just played both of these teams literally so they're the freshest teams in our mind and uh, I got to think about it we played some guys some heavy minutes tonight Obviously, we'll be off tomorrow and uh, most likely get back after it on Monday. And we got to tighten up some things, definitely, and, and work on, um, like we had been, going against pressure and, and deny because that obviously causes some issues um, tonight. But we got to be able to, to finish those plays and get uh, more stops. Coach, thanks for your time. Appreciate uh, it. Thanks, Scotty. All right, there you go. Some college basketball. The Utes go winless in conference play on the road. Who would have thought that? Coming up next, I said we got football. You better believe we got football. We got spring football. Jay Drew of the Deseret News previewing BYU. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to spend a few minutes on spring football, BYU style, with Jay Drew from the Deseret News. Jay, good morning. Morning, guys. 
We should mention yeah, we should mention Jay's at a high school basketball tournament. So if you hear some noise in the background, that's what's going on. You might hear a horn at some point. Uh, Jay, we want to start with uh, BYU football. Uh, what role will Mark Pope have? Because clearly he needs to have some role. His magic pixie dust needs to be spread throughout the entire athletic department. Yeah, he's uh, definitely on a roll. He's kind of putting together the sort of season that I've been saying BYU football needs to kind of uh, break out of its malaise a little bit and maybe kind of get some fans back on the bandwagon and just kind of get the energy back in the program. And uh, obviously Mark Pope has done that with basketball, so maybe he can inject a little enthusiasm into football, uh, which which really needs it after finishing the season with back-to-back losses. All right, so spring ball starting, and they did end on a down note. And then obviously that is what it is here. And they got a real difficult schedule. So what needs to happen in spring ball to help them set themselves up for a better season in 2020? Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I think they've got to stay healthy. That's a big thing. They just don't have a lot of depth. And uh, so they, you know, they're going to have a lot of guys miss spring ball, as it were, anyway, that had off-season surgery or whatever. But they just can't afford to have any other guys go down, uh, especially guys that can't come back, you know, basically season-ending injuries. And then, you know, obviously the big question is quarterback. They gotta, I think they've got to identify uh, a quarterback and kind of say he's our guy, if nothing else, to send a message to the rest of the team through the, you know, through the off-season uh, workouts and all that, that, that this is the, the leader. Um, you would think it's, it would be Zach Wilson, which is, was obviously the starter last year when he was healthy. But Zach didn't really uh, have a great bowl game. He didn't have a great game against San Diego State. So that kind of opened the door. And obviously Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney played fairly well when they got their opportunities. So, so uh, yeah, sorry about the cheer in the background. That's not for me, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so, so those, you know, those are the two big things that I think uh, get get a quarterback you're comfortable with, and then stay stay injury free. So, of the three quarterbacks, not that it matters who you're comfortable with or I'm comfortable with, but who are you comfortable with? Who do you think would give them the best chance at that uh, basketball style breakout season? Yeah, that's a tough one. I. You know, I, I guess I'd go with the safe choice, and that's Zach Wilson. They put a lot of uh, time into him, and obviously he has the most experience. Um, I would probably lean towards Zach and at least give him the, the opportunity. Um, but the other guys are really enticing, especially Jaron Hall. I think Jaron Hall has some the, – the sky's the limit for this kid that, as far as what he can do, and it would be really fun to – see what he could do but you know you, you got a guy that has a lot more experience uh, in Zach Wilson so I guess I would lean towards Zach with the uh, with the idea that somehow I got to get Jaron Hall on the field uh, because I, I really think he can be a a really dynamic playmaker if, if, if he's allowed to so they got a playmaker covered at tight end how about running back and receiver yeah running back is uh, kind of interesting where they've got the Devontae Henry Cole transferring from Utah. Um, he, in my mind, moves right up to the top of the depth chart. I, I think he's probably the most talented guy. Uh, a lot of people probably think Lopini Katoa, that kind of the incumbent, the returning 
starter, if you will. Uh, I just don't know if, if Lopini is kind of a workhorse type of back that can stay injury-free and, and, and take, you know, 20 carries a game. So uh, then they've got uh, Tyler Algier that's uh, been kind of rotating back and forth between linebacker and running back. He's, he's obviously back um, if they decide to use him at running back. And, and then they've got Sione Finau, who uh, suffered the knee injury in practice uh, in November. He waited until January to have surgery. I don't know why. I, something about waiting for the swelling to go down and stuff like that. So I doubt he'll be ready in uh, for fall camp uh, with an ACL. So um, for those other three, and then they got a freshman coming in, Bruce Garrett out of uh, Texas, who's uh, I've heard some pretty good things about. I don't, you know, it's pretty rare for a true freshman to step in, especially at running back. But as you know, Jamal Williams did it, and it can be done. But uh, – so that's kind of the nucleus. They got some other guys, walk-ons and that, that they'll fill in. But, uh, but you know, it's it's a good thing they landed a the transfer from Utah because I think he can help them, and I think they need help there. And then receiver, uh, obviously they lose the three uh, the three big guns in uh, Talon Shumway, Micah Simon, and and Aleva Hifo. Uh, this is the year that they really need Gunnar Romney to step up and live up to the hype and that he, you know, accompanying him out of high school. Uh, so he's back. And then uh, Dax Milne, the uh, uh, walk-on, he's on the scholarship out of Bingham High. And then uh, they, they've got some JUCO transfers that are probably, they're probably going to have to rely on pretty heavily uh, because I don't see a lot of other kind of playmakers. they got Keanu Hill, a freshman who played a little bit last year. He he had shoulder surgery recently, so he's doing this spring camp. So you never know with that sort of thing if he'll be ready. But that's kind of where they sit at running back receiver. Um, not a lot of playmakers, but uh, they seem fairly confident that the guys they have can, can rise up and do the job. So, of course, there is a complete recap of all the skill guys, and none of that matters if the offensive line is getting beat. How good do you think the O-line is going to be? On paper, they should be good. Um, I'm kind of hesitant to say that because it seems like they say that every year and then they don't quite live up to the, you know, the standard or the, or the expectations. But obviously they got James Empey back at center, a freshman All-American two years ago. They got Brady Christensen at tackle. He's a proven star. Basically they only lost, uh, uh, you know, a couple of part-time players. They got Keeper Longson back. Uh, Shandon Herring, and so um, and Keanu Saliapaga. So they, they've got almost every guy back. The question now is uh, also Tristan Hodge, don't forget him. This, uh, the question now is, you know, can these guys basically perform up to expectations and against a really, really hard schedule of Power 5 teams the first four games? That's where they really have to you know, do something, move the run the ball, protect Wilson or whoever the quarterback is. And, and you know, they did that in spurts last year. Uh, there were other times where they struggled to run the ball. So I would say that uh, there's a lot of optimism for them, but there's still that 
caveat that you never know until they actually get on the field and you see how they do. Also, Jay, you look at the defense, particularly starting with the backfield and go with that first. They lose uh, Austin Lee and Guanaluco. But other than that, they've got a fair amount of guys returning. How good should they be there? Yeah, it, it should be interesting. Uh, they got Tyrus Tonga back, and that was a, kind of a big uh, a big get to kind of get him to return for his senior season. Uh, defensive line is really the question mark in my mind because they – they still don't have a really good pass rusher. They tried Devin Kasusi there last year. He didn't really do much. Uh, from what I hear, they're maybe looking at playing a little bit more of a 4-3 and, and getting one of the linebackers like Max Cooley or, or uh, Peyton Wilgar to be kind of that rush, that rush-in linebacker, kind of like uh, what Kalani Sitake used at Utah a little bit. Um, so, yeah, defense should be fairly solid. Uh, linebacker, they're, they're uh, set with Isaiah Kafusi, a really good player. I mentioned Thule and Wilgar. Um, Zane Anderson should be back um, after missing most of last year with the, with the shoulder and, and getting the uh, medical hardship to come back. Um, they'll obviously miss Chaz Ayu. Uh, you know, I don't know for sure what they're going to do with his situation after the arrest on DUI charges. But my pre- if precedent holds, he'll, he'll sit out a year and use that in his redshirt year like they did last year with Neil Pau, the receiver, who got in legal trouble. So, um, And then, uh, you know, the cornerbacks look fairly set. They'll get Chris Wilcox back. He missed last year with an injury. Uh, most of last year, he played a little bit here and there, and it just wasn't wasn't himself. So they'll call that a redshirt year. And then uh, they'll they got a hole at safety. They'll have to replace Austin Lee, a very good safety. Um, they'll probably end up moving Troy Warner back there. And so, yeah, they didn't lose a lot on defense, so they should be fairly solid. Uh, the big thing is they got to stop the run. As you guys know, last year the you know, first few games, they just struggled mightily to stop the run, and it really hurt them. Uh, even against, you know, the, the five schools like Toledo and South Florida, they struggled there. So I would say that's the big question, Mark, is stopping the run and also if they can figure out a pass rusher and, and get, some, get some heat on the quarterbacks. Jay Drew, Deseret News, joining us here to talk spring football and BYU. I was talking a little basketball with Dave Rose, and he said something interesting that um, about the basketball program he thinks going forward will get more transfers than they did uh, during his uh, um, coaching tenure there. And he said he thinks the attitude on campus has changed and people are more open to it, and he's seen it with what Kalani is doing with football. Have you seen this trend? And if it's going to continue to be a trend, what's the real timeline for it? Could we still see some transfers coming in from the transfer portal uh, early in the summer? Yeah, I think after spring ball is over, that's when the kind of the transfer portal heats up and that kind of that market or that shifting takes place after guys maybe see that uh, they weren't part of the plans at the school they're at after spring ball and that becomes evident. If you look at last year, that's kind of when BYU picked up Tyson Williams and Emmanuel Supa is just after spring ball. 
Um, if you talk to the coaches, and like we talked to them on signing day, they're, they're, they've got a couple spots open. They've, they're adamant about saying, yeah, we, we saved a, a couple spots. So I think there's still obviously one went to Devontae Henry Cole from Utah, but they're still pretty active in the transfer portal from all I've heard. And, uh, and I, I can see them, especially I think they need a receiver. And I think they need a rush, a rush specialist. Uh, of course, that'd be easier said than done. But, but as far as kind of the trend on campus, I would agree with that. I think, I think uh, Tyson Williams coming in and kind of showing them the, how much of an impact he could have, and really uh, resonated around campus. Uh, that that you know, let's find a spot for these guys academically as well as you know on the field and. And they could really come in and, and help and provide immediate help. And so, yeah, I would agree with Coach Rose that, that I think that I think the restrictions are loosening up, at least in that area, where they're uh, admitting guys into grad school that maybe they wouldn't have in the past. And uh, and they're kind of maybe the faculty and, and the admissions office is cooperating a little bit, maybe taking some baby steps towards helping out uh, these, these marquee programs. They were awful in place kicking last year. Any hope to be better? Yeah, it, I I don't know. You know, you, you you wonder if Jake Oldroyd can get back to his pre-mission form where he kicked the game winner against Arizona and had a pretty good year. Uh, obviously, Skyler South and left and signs with the transfer to Utah. Uh, they got a return missionary, uh, Ryan Reckow. Uh, I think he's from Washington or Idaho, northern Idaho, around that area. But uh, he had it. He could obviously push Old Royd to kicking duties. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they should be better um, because you're right, Pat. Last year was a disaster in the, in the kicking department, uh, especially toward the end of the season. Well, even in the middle where they missed some field goals against South Florida and Toledo that might have changed the outcome. So, Definitely an area they need to improve. Jay Drew, Deseret News, talking BYU spring football. As you bring up, hey, guys might not like where they are in the plan or on the depth chart at the end of spring ball with three quarterbacks. Do you think whoever finds themselves third on the depth chart could be out of there, or do you think they'll uh, massage that a little bit and have a 2A and 2B or something like that? Yeah, I think they'll massage it a little bit. It's... uh kind of an interesting thing. I mean, if you take them individually, uh, you know, Zach Wilson, he's invested so much time and energy in the program and that. And, and I can see if he's relegated to, uh, you know, to a second or third string, I can see him being pretty disenchanted and, and maybe thinking about leaving. Uh, Jaron Hall, obviously you have the baseball factor where he's also a member of the baseball team and He's got some people in his ear telling him that that might be a better sport for the future, especially with the concussions that he's sustained. And then uh, Baylor Romney's wife is an outstanding track and field athlete in the pole vault, and I think she actually has a BYU record uh, for women's pole vaulting. So I don't know, you know, basically if he'd want to leave, he'd have to make a decision with her too. So it's a kind of a, a double decision there. So there's all these other kind of mitigating factors uh, that are involved uh, where 
you know, in maybe, say, a so-called normal situation you wouldn't have. Um, but honestly, I expect all three would stay, even if they're relegated to uh, second or third string, um, and that's evident after spring ball. Uh, you know, maybe the coaches will string them along a little bit and not, not name it for that reason, just so they don't lose a kid. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of factors that play into it. Well, Jay, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. We will let you get back to the state tournament. We can hear it in the background. Thank you, Jay. Sorry about that. That's fine. Okay, no problem. There you go. That was Jay Drew. We're going to give you equal time. Of course, we're going to give you equal time here on the Zone Sports Network. We always do. We love them all just the same. Kyle Gunther talking Utah football. Stay with us, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to talk a little spring football. Right now, we're going to focus on the Utes with the former Ute, Kyle Gunther. Kyle, good morning. David, Patrick, how are you, gentlemen? Excellent. Good. We want to start with a big picture question for you here on the Utes, and that is, where should expectations be? PK, uh... A few days ago was blindsiding me with uh, some uh, way too early bowl predictions that had the Utes being really good and going. I mean, you got to be really good if you're going back to the Alamo Bowl. I had them in the Alamo Bowl, and I'm thinking, is that a reflection on the rest of the conference? Is that a reflection on the Utes? Not maybe reloading, but closer to reloading than rebuilding. They certainly sent a lot of guys off to the NFL, key players, big numbers on the defensive side. How high are your expectations for the Utes? Well, because of where Kyle Whittingham has taken this program consistently over the last decade, my expectations would be much higher at Utah versus a school like UCLA or Colorado or Arizona, for example. Losing as much talent as the Utes are losing, that should cripple most programs. It's not going to do that for this Utah team. Their core is still there, the core values of the program. They've got good, strong players on the offensive and defensive lines, but you guys tell me the last time you lost an all-time leading rusher, a three-year starter at quarterback, the entire secondary. But I'm going through Utah's 2020 schedule. I see eight wins, and I don't think that's outlandish. Anytime you, you, know, you project eight wins, maybe it's seven, maybe it's nine. But this is a Utah team that's better than UCLA, that's better than Colorado next year, better than Arizona. Arizona State and USC, I think, have a lot of talent coming back. I think those are the teams you're going to hear mentioned at the top of the Pac-12 South. But, yeah, this is a very difficult test for this Utah team that's going to send maybe eight guys to the draft. I mean, maybe nine or ten total to the NFL. So my expectations are that this is going to be a pretty different offense uh, in year two under Andy Ludwig. And then we'll see how many of these young corners the Utes have recruited, how many of these young safeties the Utes have recruited over the last few years can step in and and fill some of those voids on defense. But uh, this may be the first year in a long time that Utah's offense 
has to carry some of the slack from Utah's defense, at least early on. While Utah's defense figures it out, you know, they might be starting two or three freshmen on defense. So I think Utah's offense is going to be very different with Jake Bentley at quarterback. I think they're going to be very much a passing-oriented offense that may have to outscore some people because last year's Utah defense was maybe the best ever. They're not going to quite have that same level of talent in 2020, but I still see eight wins for this Utah team next year. So do you predict Bentley or expect Bentley to be the heavy favorite to win the job, or you still think it's going to be a competition? Well, Cam Rising is very talented. And go look at who recruited both of these guys. They're both four-star quarterbacks. Cam Rising has a little bit more mobility, although he's not a mobile quarterback. Jake Bentley and, and Cam Rising are both pocket passers. But Jake Bentley has done it at the highest of levels. And Jake Bentley is the ideal transfer scenario. He did not get in trouble. He didn't get beat out. I mean, he had a good career going at South Carolina at a very good program at the best conference of college football on earth. And he broke his foot severely last year. A young player came in and and had some success. And so that just kind of happens in football. But I do believe Jake Bentley is the favorite uh, if you go back and watch some of the things he was able to do at South Carolina, he's able to make very aggressive throws. You're talking about corner routes. You're talking about go routes, deep routes that are, you know, he's throwing to guys that are, that are covered, and he's throwing them open at times. He's not Pat Mahomes uh, by any stretch, but he's got a big arm, and he is a confident passer, and I expect Andy Ludwig's offense to be dramatically different next year. Uh, Jake Bentley is a better passer than... Cam Rising and Tyler Huntley right now. Uh, Tyler Huntley was a much better playmaker. Tyler Huntley's legs and his overall leadership, that led to a lot of wins at Utah, but Jake Bentley doesn't have that. He's going to beat you with his arm, and Utah's receiving core looks like it could be a strength for the first time in, in many years. That's the bulk of their returning talent on offense. Brian Thompson and Solomon Enos, I think, are poised to have a big year. Uh, Jalen Dixon can still be that deep threat. I'm excited for the tight ends to see how they can be used. But uh, I think Jake Bentley is the guy because he's done it in games. Cam Rising, the last time he did it in a game, it was at the high school level. And bless his heart, there's a lot of us that were very good in high school. There's a lot of people listening, I'm sure, that were very good in (laughs) high school. But to actually get it done in the games when it's, you know, the stakes are very high. It's not just that you don't want your team to lose. It's that in the SEC, you get hurt every single play, potentially. Guys are breaking your feet, breaking your knees. It's a very dangerous game, and Jake Bentley's done it at a very high level, so I assume that he is the favorite heading into spring. Wow, you talked about the passing game like that, and all I saw was Kyle Winningham's head exploding. But (laughs) Zach Moss is gone. If they don't have another Zach Moss, that just lends themselves to what you're talking about, and I think having another Zach Moss is a very high bar. Do they have a feature back who can get 20 carries a game and 1,000 yards in a season? No, I think they have two backs, though, that can, that can try to combine to be what Zach Moss was. Uh, I think Jordan Wilmore showed you last year he's got innate skills, but he was a freshman, uh, and I think he's got a really unique ability to create plays. Uh, he's got the ability to run with some violence. Uh, Devin Brumfield is a battering ram, and I like the combination of those two, but you'd be a fool to not use Zach Moss. And clearly there was a coordinator a couple of years ago who couldn't figure it out. But Andy Ludwig realized you just give Zach Moss the ball 30 times a game. And it gave the Utes 11 wins last year. Now, I'm not saying the Utes are going to run the air raid offense in 2020. But you you have to 
gear your offense towards the skill set of your players. And, and in college, I mean, it's towards the quarterback. What does your quarterback do best? And if Jake Bentley is able to beat out Cam Rising and win that job, Jake Bentley's a pocket passer. Uh, he's going to utilize that play action, uh, and he's not going to look at his first receiver, his first option, and then take off and run. No, there's plenty of times you can see Jake Bentley at South Carolina looking to his primary receiver and then looking to the other side of the field to try to find the open player. He's going to go through a read progression better than any quarterback in recent history for the Utes. So it doesn't mean that Bentley's going to throw it 40 times a game. It means that when the Utes need a big play to be made with the arm of the quarterback, they're going to have that at their disposal this year. I think he and Brian Thompson are going to be a dynamic duo there and able to create big plays through the air. Whereas, you know, Tyler Huntley so often would create plays through the air on a broken play. Let's say the coverage breaks down, Tyler Huntley would scramble out of the pocket, and that in and of itself is a way to create a play through the air because the defense sees a quarterback break contain and they think, okay, he's going to run. But Huntley had that ability to flip the script then and throw the ball down the field. Jake Bentley is going to be much more of a traditional pocket passer. So if you're one of those Utah fans that for years has been clamoring for an offense that's, uh, that's more potent through the air, that's a little more exciting, you're probably going to get that in 2020. Now that might lead to you know, through no fault of his own. This might be a seven- or an eight-win Utah team, but they're going to have that impressive passing attack. Uh, but, no, Kyle Whittingham is – and it's a common misconception. He's not against the passing game. He's not opposed to it. He hates turnovers. And when you've got a quarterback like, I don't know, Travis Wilson or Tyler Huntley, that typically when you ask him to throw the ball more than 30 times, that leads to turnovers. That's why Kyle Whittingham is against it. But if Jake Bentley or Cam Rising can be conservative with the football and not make the big mistake, they can throw it 35 times. Whittingham's not going to have a problem with that. And I do predict you'll see a, a little more of a pass-heavy offense this year for the Utes in 2020. Yeah, I would agree with that compared to the prior years that we've had, for sure. And so if I can, I don't want to say assume, but have a fair level of confidence that the quarterback is decent, then with that in mind, my biggest concern as far as the football team goes specifically is on the safeties because if I think if you're young there, you might be in trouble. Yeah, and it's not just the safeties. I mean, Jalen Johnson, Javelin Guidry, they're gone as well. It's one of the best defensive back cores that Utah's ever had a year ago, one of the best defensive lines the Utes have ever had. There's a ton of questions on defense, but when was the last time Utah had a bad defense? You know, so we're talking about a year ago, maybe the best defense ever, and in 2020, maybe Utah's defense is ranked third in the Pac-12 or fourth or something. I mean, it's not going to be this dramatic drop-off, but you mentioned the safeties, PK, and there's a guy in Nate Ritchie who was a pretty good recruit from Lone Peak High School, who reminds me a lot of what Chase Hansen was back in the day. Chase Hansen, yeah, he was a quarterback, but he was a 210-pound, uh, hairy-chested, barrel-chested man out there running people over, and he became a very good player and, and an NFL-caliber linebacker, an all-conference-caliber linebacker. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure if Nate Ritchie's going to stay at safety in the long term. Uh, maybe he moves up and plays that linebacker spot, but Vontae Davis, another guy who was a pretty high-level recruit a couple of years ago. Uh, you got to let these guys develop. Uh, what was that? La Correa Pleasant Johnson from a couple of years ago. He's a high-level recruit. These guys had multiple Pac-12 offers. They need to come in and show 
what their talent level is. And Morgan Scally and Kyle Whittingham have recruited very well defensively. Sharif Shaw is an incredible recruiter. So now it's time to see the fruits of, the, of that labor. But, man, you, you see the career trajectory of Nate Ritchie, and it, it potentially could be a lot of what you saw from Chase Hansen. So uh, there's another guy, uh, Van Fillinger, who I remember was, uh, I think he transferred into the state. He was a very high-level recruit. The youth recruiting classes have been getting better each year since probably 2016, and that's when you're going to need to see these guys step up. But this is not going to be the top-ranked pass defense in the Pac-12, maybe not the top-rush defense, but, I mean, the covers are not there at Utah. Uh, I think the worst-case scenario for Utah defensively is they're probably the fourth or the fifth-ranked defense in the Pac-12. But, man, I, I do think you're going to see Utah's offense lead the way at times in 2020. Kyle Gunther, former Ute, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. All right, we've toyed with you long enough. Now let's get to what you really want to talk about. We had Kyle Whittingham on the air, and he was talking about the challenges with the offense. Got to replace a quarterback, got to replace a running back, got to replace a left tackle. And he said, going through the numbers in the offseason, which is what you do this time of year, every coach and staff's doing it, he said the one that jumps out is fourth and short, fourth and one, maybe fourth and two. Not nearly good enough. So that's two things to attack there. How do you? What do you think they're going to do at left tackle? Because they got a lot of guys back on the line, but that's that's the spot they got to fix. And then what can they do on fourth and short? Well, Utah's offensive line was not good enough there last year, and and it's been cool the last couple of years to see Utah go for it on a lot of fourth downs. Fourth and shorts a down that you have to win as an offense seventy five percent of the time because you should only have maybe you know, less than 10 of those on the year probably. But Utah's interior offensive line was not good enough because they were moving guys around. Uh, Nick Ford is a guard. He is not a tackle. Uh, he's a great guard. He's just a good offensive tackle. He can be in the NFL as a center or a guard, and I think he will. But as far as the left tackle goes, that's a big concern for a lot of programs at any P5 school. Uh, I was really surprised, uh, pleasantly surprised, to see what Darren Paulo did a couple of years ago, moving from the right side to the left side. That is not an easy transition. Playing tackle in a right-handed stance is much different than playing in a left-handed stance. You go against tougher players on the left side. You are one-on-one more often on the left side of that offensive line. So the Utes are going to move Simi Mawala over there in the short term, and I'm not sure that's going to stick. Uh, Simi Mawala got a lot better last year, but he had the same problem that a lot of right tackles have. Uh, a little stiff. Stiffer than a wedding day bow tie at times. You've got to learn to bend. Darren Paulo had an incredible ability to bend, and Bamadeli Oleseni does as well. Now, Bam is a lock to play right tackle. He can do that. The question is if Bam can play left tackle. That's an ideal scenario. You can keep Simi Mawala on the right side. There's also a name, a guy, Sata'oa Laumea from Southern California. He's the highest-rated high school offensive lineman the Utes have ever landed. Bam Oleseni and uh, Garrett Bowles, they were four-star juco guys, but it's much different from the high school level. Sata'oa Laumea might be in the mix, although I think he probably ends up at guard long-term. So the cupboards, are, they're not bare on the offensive line, but to go back to 2019 is maybe the only disappointing area of Utah's football team in 2019 was the offensive line. And in 2020, you're going to see some guys shift around, but Orlando Umana and Nick Ford are mainstays. They're very good players. I'm not sure why Brayton Daniels would get beat out at the other guard spot. 
he was young last year, and he was light. He screwed up a couple of times, as did Nick Ford, but you know, part of that is they asked Nick Ford to play a bunch of different positions last year. That can be a challenge. So I think they need to keep the inside three the same. Maybe it's Daniels on the left side, Yumana at center, and Nick Ford at right guard. Maybe you switch the guards, but keep those three guys consistent inside. Stop asking Nick Ford to play tackle half the time, and I think you'll see more consistency there. But uh, Bam Olaseni, he had an offer to Notre Dame and Auburn and uh, I think Old Miss as well. He's one of the best athletes you're ever going to see, 340 pounds. Got banged up last year. We never really got to see what he can do, but that's the X factor for the offensive line. Bam Olaseni filling in it, maybe at left tackle. If not, then Simi Moala's got to shift over to left tackle. But uh, Utah's offensive line was not great a year ago. They may not be great this year, uh, but I think it's going to be a much different offense. Again, to go back to the quarterback, Jake Bentley, he's not a mobile guy. Neither is Cam Rising. You're not going to see a ton of this option attack. And as a player, I hated the option. Uh, as a fan of college football, I do not like the read option because as an offensive line, you just want to block for You want to know what the play is. Tell me the hole that we're opening, and we'll open it up. If it's the four hole, if it's the five hole, left or you know whatever, tell us and we'll do it. The, the read option play is so predicated on having a mobile quarterback. I've never understood the, the idea of relying on your quarterback to take 20 hits a game. I don't think we're going to see that going forward. Tyler Huntley was tough as nails. He got banged up a lot, but he was too much a part of the running game for years, certainly under Troy Taylor. But even a year ago, I thought there was times where you could have seen Zach Moss get the ball more often. But uh, going forward, it's going to be more of a traditional running attack. It's going to be Jordan Wilmore or Devin Brumfield getting the ball, or you're going to see Jake Bentley or Cam Rising throw it. So that'll be the main difference, and I think that'll be easier on the offensive line. You can really pin your ears back. You can put weight on your hand and fire out when it's a run play, and that'll open things up for Utah's play-action game. But, uh, yeah, Utah's offensive line has just about as many questions this year as they did a year ago. You talked about the chest hair of Nate Ritchie. Have you found the amount of chest hair can correlate to the amount of ability? I tell you what, you think I'm joking. There were guys, I remember in high school, uh, there was a guy, we were 15, he had a full beard, he had chest hair, he kicked everybody's ass up and down the field, he was 5'11", 220. Guess what, when we were seniors, he was 5'11", 220, everybody else started shaving, and it wasn't the same level of player. Uh, John Penasini was a full-grown man two years ago. Uh, I didn't shave until I was 19 and a half. You know, so some of us were not blessed with that. I think I had to start shaving regularly, but maybe I was like 30 years old. So that matters. That's testosterone. That's development. <laughs> yeah, these guys that have chest hair and beards, I mean, look at Chase Hansen. He had a full-blown man's body at 18 years old. Some of us have to wait till we're 21 or 22. Hell, some of us never get a full-grown man's body. So it does matter. When you're recruiting a kid who's got a mustache at 15, yeah, he's going to be pretty good. He's going to continue to grow and develop there. Uh, and so it, it does matter. Some of these guys' physical maturity, uh, you can see it right away. But then there's the case of the babyface killer, Jackson Barton. Oh, who, yeah. When he first showed up to Utah, man, he, he, smiled, he had a big smile. He had a big heart. Uh, he was a little stiff. And look at him. He just won a Super Bowl with the Chiefs now. I'm not sure he shaves still to this day so there are anomalies but for the most part you want your guys to look and play like a full-grown man and so that 
Uh, you know, I'm, I'm half joking about that, but man, you look at Nate Ritchie, he looks like a 21-year-old man ready to go out there. So that kind of stuff does matter. Or maybe I'm just self-conscious because I was an underdeveloped, barely pubescent man, boy, when I got to Utah. And I was a little scared by, you know, how I, I met Sione Puha, he was 22 years old with kids. <laughs> when I got to Utah, I had barely turned 18. I didn't know how to shave with shaving cream and a regular razor. Morgan Scally had kids. I was like, these are men. It matters. And uh, it matters today. Well, I'm glad we got through that without you breaking down back hair. So maybe we'll just, uh, we'll just end it right here, Kyle. Well, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an expert in all things hair, and uh, I appreciate you guys. Excited for uh, spring football. Thanks for having me on. There you go. A recap, or not a recap, a preview of spring ball for BYU and Utah. Stay with us. 7 o'clock hours coming up next. Watch trending all the day's deals in sports. And, of course, over the weekend, Jazz get the win. They're on the road tonight. We'll hit all of that. All of that, I promise you. Stay with us. 97.5, 1280, The Zone.